are in 1 John. If you have your Bibles, we'll turn there, and we'll be in chapter 3, continuing where we left off last week. Um, we're glad to be back again tonight. Thanks, guys, for the music. That was, that was really good. Um, and last week, we were uh, in, verse, or in chapter 3, looking at verses 11 through 15, where John is talking about um, love. But he's also talking about hatred and gave the example of Cain, Cain and Abel. And so continue on that, that theme tonight because we left off kind of incomplete. Um, there's still more that John had to say, but we ran out of time last week. So um, out of all the 27 books in the New Testament, there's only one book that mentions love more than this short five-chapter epistle from John. And here the apostle mentions the word love in its different forms 52 times in, in just in this short um, letter. And it may not sound like a lot, but when you see that the average New Testament book is somewhere in the high single digits in terms of mentions of love, uh, it's pretty significant. Um, the only book that beat, beats this one in terms of the amount of mentions is also written by the apostle John uh, in, in his gospel there, and that uh, though that book itself is four times longer than this letter, it only mentions love five extra times in this one. So that doesn't mean that um, of the other books have nothing to say about it or that John's writing is more important. But we really do see here that the Holy Spirit inspired John's writing to have a heavily weighted emphasis on Christian love. Okay, he puts a lot of emphasis on that. In every case, whether it's the verb form, the noun form, or, or whatever, John is using the word agape to describe love, the Greek word agape. Okay, remember that that is different from the sexual kind of love or romantic kind of love. It's different from the familial, brotherly kind of love. Um, we have these different mentions of love in the scriptures. This is the hard kind of love. Okay, this is the... Uh, the love for the unlovely. This is the love of choice. If you remember, we've talked about before, a love of the will, a self-sacrificial self love that one graciously bestows on another regardless of return. Okay? It is a love that doesn't hinge on being loved back. That's what kind of love that John is talking about. Six times here in this letter, John uses the adjective um, agapetas, okay, to describe who he's writing to. It's a form of that word, agape. It's all the, talking about the same kind of love, but when he uses that adjective form to describe the people he's writing to here, and it's translated as, uh, in your Bibles, probably as beloved, okay, it'll be different places where he says beloved. He's addressing them as beloved. He's describing them as his beloved. He's addressing them as those he holds as more important than himself, not because they are lovable, okay? He chooses to love them the way Christ loved him. And when he says beloved, he's making a statement that he's loving them by example, the way he's telling them to love the brothers as proof that they are of God, right? We've seen that several times in here that John talks about love for the brethren as proof that you are truly a Christian. And so he's not just saying this, beloved, he truly loves them. He, he is identifying them as that whenever you see that in the scriptures here. If you remember last week, we 
specifically at the example of Cain and Abel, as I mentioned a minute ago. John brought up the subject of Cain and his hatred for his brother Abel and, and what that hatred was. That hatred was really hatred in the heart. It's murder of the heart, which led to the physical act of murder against his brother. There was, there was no love for his brother in any sense of the word. And this was an example of the unrighteous person's hatred for the righteous person. Cain came before God in false worship and was not accepted. He offered what was not acceptable to God. He was unrighteous. And Abel offered what was acceptable in the form of a blood sacrifice. And he was, it was accepted by God. He was a righteous man. And God told Cain, if you remember, that in his attitude, with his head hung down and his anger, God told Cain that sin was crouching at the door, right? Waiting, waiting to, um, he said, desiring to have him. And he told Cain that you, you must master it. But Cain didn't listen. Okay? He could not bear the fact that his unrighteousness was exposed by the righteousness of his brother, Abel. So he lured him out into the field and killed him. Okay? John answered the question last week, if you remember, why did Cain murder Abel? And he said, because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Okay, the unrighteous hating righteousness because it exposes their unrighteousness. And that's why um, the scriptures last week also talked, uh, or John also said, do not be surprised brother, that the world hates you. Right? That's the same, the same kind of thing. In front of the backdrop of love, Cain is the first example in scripture of the worst kind of hatred and that of murder. But what John is doing here is not giving us a contrast between the hatred of Cain and the love of Abel. We don't, we don't see anything about the love of Abel. We see that he gave an acceptable sacrifice. The contrast John has in view here is that of the hatred of Cain with the love of Jesus Christ. He's contrasting those two things. So as he gave the example of Cain and said, we should not be like Cain, he said that last week, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. We should not be like that. He also talked about the love we must have for our brothers. By that, of course, we mean brothers and sisters. Okay, ladies, that doesn't leave you out. Um, but we had to stop short last week, didn't get to where John defined love. Okay, to where he explained the actions of one man as being the definition of agape, love. And that is what we'll look at tonight. If you'll read with me in, in 1 John chapter 3, let's read our passage out and then we'll have a word of prayer. 1 John 3, uh, verses 16 through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for your word. We can open it up. We can read what John wrote so long ago. Inspired by your Holy Spirit, these are the words of God. And we thank you for it. We thank you for what your word teaches us. I pray, Father, you would teach us tonight about what true love is. What it truly, um, what example has truly been given to us and how that affects and motivates our lives as Christians. I pray, Father, you give us understanding and draw 
our attention to you, fix our eyes on Christ, grow our knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Thank you for those that are here, Lord, for those that may be watching at home. Um, Lord, we are grateful for the privilege of gathering, for the privilege of hearing your word. Uh, We're so grateful. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. You've heard the rule that says, whenever you see the word therefore, you ask yourself what it's there for, <laughs> right? right? It's there for a reason. It's there because of some truth that was just stated that applies to what is about to be said. Okay, in a similar way, we need to ask a question. When we see the words that we see here in our passage, in verse 16, by this. Those words, by this, that John uses to start verse 16. When he says, by this, we should ask, by what? Right? He's, he's about to say something. We need to ask that question. By this we know love, is what he says there in verse 16. So we need to really grasp what John is expressing here. We've talked about agape. And I think it's important that we set aside our Western American idea of love for a minute. Okay? That is, we're not talking about a warm, fuzzy feeling. Okay? Keep the self-sacrificial love, agape love, in mind. Is it the definition that we've talked about as it regards to that? John is about to tell us how we know what it is. Okay, how we know what agape is. And when he says no, he is talking about an absolute knowledge. Okay, this isn't some flighty thing, some th- some truth that's true for somebody and not for somebody else. This is this is genuine absolute knowledge, knowledge of what is true in the truest sense, knowledge based on the only pure and true example of agape, the example that every other supposed example of agape is measured against. By this we know absolutely what the standard of agape or self-sacrificial love is in its only expression. Well, by what? We'll ask that question, by what? He tells us there in verse 16, that he laid down his life for us. Think about that for a minute. That he laid down his life for us. John is telling us what agape is. And it's that one little phrase, he laid down his life for us. But we need to have some understanding of that, I think. Someone can look up the definition for agape in a Greek dictionary, perhaps, and get the words and begin to understand the difference between Uh, agape and other types of love, but how can it make sense to a person? What if someone were to ask you what agape means? You can tell them what it means, give them the definition, but if they ask you what that looks like, you can only really truly respond with one thing. He laid down his life for us. There's, There's no other better example. Well, who's the he? Christ, yeah, Jesus Christ. He, he laid down his life for us. John is teaching us here that agape can only rightly be understood in light of the gospel. In order to understand it, we must understand the reality about mankind. This is where the fact that he laid down his life for us gets meaning. It means something. Human beings are rebellious, sinful, selfish, proud, arrogant, Lying, perverted, hateful, 
murderous, enemies of the God who gave them life. That's not the full list. (laughs) We know that's not the full list, but if you were to hear that list applied to somebody, you probably wouldn't want to be around them. You probably wouldn't want to trust them. You wouldn't, that would not be be appealing, right? And before we start thinking that we are innocent of any of those things on that list, let us remember that God says we're guilty of them all. Right, James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Okay. It's serious. It's a big deal, right? Our problem is we don't think we're that bad. Right? We don't think we deserve any harsh punishment because, well, usually what we think is because that other guy is worse. Right? I've got in my mind this list of all the terrible things that human beings do. Well, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't do that. Therefore, I'm a good person. Uh, that's, that's a problem. Okay? Man has to stop comparing himself to other men and compare himself to the standard God uses. Right? The standard of his own perfect holiness and righteousness. That's the standard. And when we measure ourselves against that, uh-oh. Right, we're, in, we're in big trouble. And the scripture says that we're, we are at enmity with God, meaning we are actively opposed to God. That's not just accidental or something like that. Human beings are actively opposed to him. And we are so without regret or repentance. That is the state of every unbelieving person. Therefore, human beings stand condemned before him because of sin, and they continue to pile up sin. It's not just that they did it at one point. They continue to pile it up. Romans 2.5 says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. People are actually storing up wrath. Mankind can only expect the vengeance and wrath of their creator for their ongoing rebellion against him and his absolute holiness and purity. Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That is the state and the fate of every man and woman because of sin. Every sin. And it only takes one. And we know that we're guilty of way more than one. But God, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. I mean, we have to hear that. We have to hear that list. We have to hear how terrible it is so that agape has meaning, so that he laid down his life for us has meaning. When we know how terrible our sin is, it makes that act of laying himself down for us all the more precious. John says, by this we know agape. This is the standard by which we know it. Because of and for our sin, he laid down his life for us. Jesus' death on the cross in light of who he is and who we are is the ultimate revelation of love. 
All that we know or could know about love comes from the example of Christ on the cross. That's, that should be our standard. When we think about how to love other people, we should immediately think about Christ and how Christ loved me, how Christ loved you. That should be our standard. Yeah, but how do you explain agape? He laid down his life for us. What can I do about my sin? Nothing. He laid down his life for us. But how are we made right with God? By the fact that he laid down his life for us. How do we get saved, repent, and believe that he laid down his life for us? Well, then what? Praise and worship and obey him because he laid down his life for us. And what does that look like? We lay down our lives for the brethren. That's what it looks like. That's what John is getting at here. Look at verse 16 again, all the way through in our passage. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So John says, in response to what Christ did, we ought to do the same for our brothers and sisters. We ought to lay down our lives for them. And this is not just in the example of Jesus' physical death, though that is the, it's the central act of love in view here. But Christ also died to self in suffering punishment for the object of his love, us. Christ died to self in the righteous life lived in obedience to the Father. Sometimes we don't think about that. He, he lived a perfectly righteous life. You have to die to self to do that. We're, we don't do that. He died to self every time he resisted temptation. Jesus did. He died to self every time he resisted temptation. And he resisted temptation every time he was tempted. And I don't think we know how difficult that is because we resist temptation for a while and then we fall. And we fall into that temptation. He resists temptation all the way, completely, every time, and never sinned once. That's, that's quite an accomplishment, but more so, it is, it, it's really something you can't do in this world living with other people without dying to self, right? Without being self-sacrificial. And that's Christ. That's what he did. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Okay, so this is not just about us going through life, being willing to die physically someday, if it came to that. that, that the, that's possible, and we should be willing to. God has given us the opportunity and the ability to practice this every day by leaving us here on earth and allowing us to be around other human beings. And the same thing for other human beings who have been left here and having the uh, ability and the opportunity to be around me, then they have the opportunity to be self-sacrificial towards me. So, And especially so with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are part of God's plan to sanctify you. Sometimes we talk about that in terms of marriage, that God gives a man a wife um, for her sanctification or vice versa, because we, we have that struggle together as husband and wife, and we, we go through those things together, having to learn how to be patient, having to learn how to 
think of another person before ourselves. Okay? Um, so it's part of the thing that God uses to sanctify us. In other words, the other people you're commanded to love as Christ loved you are not always going to be lovable, but do it because he laid down his life for us. And this is about, uh, it's about an everyday death to self while living. Right? We don't go down and lose our life physically every day, but we have an opportunity every day to set aside self, to die to self for someone else. Um, that, and we have plenty of opportunity for that. There's nothing greater, and even Jesus affirms this in John 15, 12, and 13. says, Jesus talking, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Okay, this is a love of the will for others because of Christ. And we have no right, no justification to ever not love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Unless any one of you can think of a think of biblical permission to not love the way Christ did. Anybody? <laughs> I can't. I couldn't think of any either. So, uh, But we sometimes do that. Huh? We sometimes justify our treatment of other people, our ill treatment of other people, because our only justification is really how we feel. I feel really wronged, so therefore I don't have to forgive this person, or I don't have to treat this person right. But that's... That's not how Christ loved us, right? He loved us while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of his. And if we're honest, we don't always love like we should, but that is not permission to not love. Just because we struggle with it doesn't mean we go, well, you know, I'm not good at it, so I guess I'll stop trying. Uh, If anything, it should be really, when we realize it, it should be a dagger in the heart, in our conscience, that we're not being obedient to our Lord and Savior who loved us so much. It should, it should hurt us to not love like we should. and should motivate something different from us. So a question, if, if agape is a love that denies self for the benefit of the object of love, then how should Christians be living that out in their daily lives? What does that look like? Give me some examples of what it looks like for a Christian to be living that out, the s- denial of self for the object of love. What does that look like? What was that? Sacrifice of your time for someone? Sure. What else? We've got plenty of examples. Pray for them, okay? Spend time praying, okay? Come on, what are the hard, really hard ones? How about forgiving? Forgiving people when they wrong us? Being patient with people? What else? Serving when you don't really feel like it, okay. How many of us have times where we have opportunity to serve, but we really don't feel like it at the time. I've had that. Yeah. And it's, it's the choice to serve anyway. Any others? Showing hospitality. Okay. Perhaps even when it's uncomfortable and inconvenient. 
right? Okay. Sharing. Ooh. We're, that, that's a hard one. Who are, where were we somewhere recently? There was two babies that were fighting over something. Was it oh, last week? Yeah. <laughs> one of them had the little plastic donut. No, it wasn't my kids, though they do fight over donuts. But, um, no, they had, yeah, one of them had the little plastic donut, and the other one wanted it, and so they're just pulling back and forth. But they have no concept of saying, oh, no, you take it. It's okay. I'll, I'll let you play with it. That's, uh, you don't have to teach kids selfishness. We have to teach them to not be selfish, right? But sometimes us, we as adults perhaps haven't learned that lesson really well. Um, so that's a really hard one. Sharing is a really hard one. It seems simple, huh? Like, yet we struggle. Well, let's look at some examples, biblical examples of this, okay? What, what are the best biblical examples of how this plays out? And I think we can find it in a passage that, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, this passage of scripture that typically is used to, in, in marriage ceremonies, um, to talk about husband and wife and how they relate to one another. But this is really about Christian living. It, it's about Christian living for everyone, for all Christians, um, that we would live, that this is an example of love. And again, the word used in there for love is agape. It's this self-sacrificial love. Okay, we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting at verse 1 through verse 7. <clears throat> this is Paul writing here, and he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Let's stop there for a second. All these things that Paul talks about there, these are not things that he actually has. It was, you know, he, it's all ifs. If I did, even if is how we should look at that. Even if I had all these things, it's not something that Christians need to pursue. Ooh, I need to pursue the tongues of angels. Okay, we don't, we don't take it there. This is just Paul setting up this this idea that if I had all these things, it might be seen as great things. They're nothing without love. Verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Okay, and, and, and that also includes, and some translations talk about, um, keeping no record of wrongs, okay, which is uh, a very difficult one for us. Okay, it, verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Okay, this is agape love. This is what we've been talking about. And when you, when you think of that list, how do you rank? We, sh we should be asking ourselves that question as we read those things. Is this me? Does this describe who I am? Again, not compared to other Christians. Compared to God. Compared to our Savior. How do I rank with these things? So I, that, that's a really good list to go through. If you ever are wanting to know, 
as you think about agape love, as you think about how can I be self-sacrificial in my life daily towards other people, I can go to that list right away and ask myself, in my interactions with people throughout the day, am, am I like this? Does this describe me? Or do I want my own way all the time? Am, am I impatient? Am I cruel? Uh, do I envy other people? Okay, there's another one here um, in verse 6. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So when we rejoice with things that God says are sin or things that God hates and we say they're okay, that's not love. That's the opposite. Christians, people that are of God, they rejoice in the truth, in what is true according to what God says. Okay? So it's an important list. So don't just think of it in terms of husband and wife. That's for every Christian for every day. That is, that is our daily living. And we, we also know this is not just about, you can go back to our passage in 1 John, this is not, we know it's not just about the physical dying for other people because of how John continues in our passage here. He gives his own example of what this looks like in our daily lives. So look at verse 17. He says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Okay, well, the answer to that question is it doesn't. That's his point. The love of God does not abide in him. Uh, John talks about the world's goods here, and he, what he means is material wealth or possessions. Right? This is the, the world's goods. Um, some have more than others. We know this to be true. It's just a fact of life, and it's, it's part of God's plan. Contrary to what the world always is supposedly trying to do, which is to end poverty, Jesus said the poor will always be with us. It's not about ending poverty. Now, that doesn't mean we're, we're indifferent to the poor, just that we as Christians would not focus on the futile task of trying to end all poverty in the world, to end something that Jesus said won't end. The real goal is not to take people out of physical or monetary poverty, but poverty of the soul. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't help people financially or with material things when it's needed. But the, ultimately, that's not the point. Ultimately, the point is the poverty of the soul needs is what the people need. People rich and poor need a savior, right? The greedy rich person is just as sinful as the greedy poor person. If God has blessed you with the world's goods and you ignore the brother or sister in need uh, of what you can provide, then John is saying the love of God cannot abide in you. This means you're aware of the need. God has given you the ability to meet the need, but you close your heart, John says. You don't provide that need. And whatever the reasons are that you conjure up in your mind, you don't meet the need of a brother and sister that you could meet the need for. Uh, there's one, one Bible commentator, Matthew Henry, said this about John's instruction, it pleases God that some of the Christian brethren should be poor for the exercise of the charity and love of those that are rich. And it pleases the same God to give to some of the Christian brethren this world's good, that they may exercise their grace in communicating to the poor saints. And those who have this world's goods must love a good more and their good brethren more 
and be ready to distribute it for their sakes. So, you see, he's acknowledging God's plan for how the poor are to be cared for by their brothers and sisters in Christ, whom God has blessed with plenty. We can't forget the fact that if you're a Christian and you have material goods, how did you get that? God, right? We tend to say, well, I worked for it. I did all these things, but who gave you breath? Who gave you hands and feet? Who, who sustains you every day? Who gives you, who provides a job? Who, we forget sometimes to acknowledge the goodness of God and his provision in our lives for everything we have. Just when we think we've earned all this stuff because we've worked hard, we forget that without God providing it, we would have nothing. So, God has blessed some people with plenty. It's, uh, it's just a plain fact that some people have more than other people. God places some of his people in poor countries around the world and some of his people in rich countries. Some of his people are rich in poor countries and some of his people are poor in rich countries. And if God, we have, this, we have to be realistic about this. If God ever wanted to end poverty for Christians, if he ever wanted to m- make all of his children rich in terms of the world's goods, couldn't he do that? Absolutely. But he doesn't. He hasn't. It's not about that. It's not about material possessions. He's called on Christians to take care of each other and demonstrate that the love of God abides in them by sacrificing of self and giving to others. And that could be monetarily or in material things, but I think more often than not, it's in our attitudes. It's in our treatment of other people. Okay, sometimes we also have to be discerning and understand that just giving someone something material may not actually be what they may need, and it may not even be a loving thing to do for them. One commentator said, what is the limit to this kind of love? The only limit is the one that love itself imposes. When giving to a person, meeting his perceived or immediate need does him harm instead of good, then the loving thing to do is to not give him what he asks for, but to give him what he actually needs instead. We see this with parents and their children all the time. Kids always want something they don't need or that's not good for them, and the parents will give them something else. The kids are upset about it, but the parent knows what they actually need, right? Not, it's not just about what they want. So that's something that we, we need to be discerning about, but it's also not something then that we say, oh, well, I perceive that he doesn't really need this thing I have, so I'm not going to give it. Right? We can we go the other way and make it an excuse. But when there's a true need, God's people are to think of the needs of others and give according to how God has blessed them. And that doesn't mean you, you give everything you have and become poor yourself. Okay? If every Christian gave up every single thing they had and all the Christians were just poor, then how would we be those Christians who have plenty and give to those that don't. Okay, we don't even see a scriptural example of that. Okay, it's not about us dumping everything and becoming destitute. Okay, um, but the, the idea here is that we respond sacrificially to the needs of others when we're made aware of it. Okay, for example, um, when there was a famine prophesied uh, in the land in Acts 11, the disciples responded the way Christians should. In Acts 11, 29 and 30, it says, So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas 
and Saul. So they see the need, they determine what they're going to do, and according to everyone's ability, or however much they have, they can sacrifice of that and give. They give for their brethren to provide for their need in, in a time of famine. And what John is teaching is not that giving of material goods is the only way Christians can show self-sacrificial love. And we're talking about our passage here. This is just an example he gives. And it happens to be one that many people struggle with. Parting with their stuff. Or sharing, as it was mentioned earlier. Right? We, we have a hard time sometimes. Parting with our stuff. We get something new, we don't want to share it because we don't want it scratched or something like that. We can be, begin to be too concerned about our things and then neglect the needs of other people. Okay. Um, this is not just something Christians should know to be true about how we treat one another or to merely be talked about and then left for someone else to do. This is also ju not just for rich Christians. Okay. Poor Christians don't somehow get a pass on the command to agape love people. Right? John didn't address just rich Christians with this command. Hence, it's not only about material possessions. Again, this is not just something we say. Look at verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Jesus himself said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? It's, this is a pretty clear verse. Calling on Christians to be about the business of living this out on a daily basis. Actually doing something about it instead of just talking about it. And to live self-sacrificially each day is probably the best, probably best practice in how we respond to offenses against us. Someone has wronged us in some way. Uh, or in how we let others decide, now these might seem silly, but how we let others decide where to go for dinner. Or give up our desire for one activity, no activity, for the things someone else wants to do. Or to be quick to admit a wrong instead of defending ourselves, right? Or to stop holding that grudge. You know the one I'm talking about. Somebody here is holding a grudge against somebody. <laughs> we do that. We hold grudges, right? And we can hold them. Some people can hold them for a long time. Right? And it destroys that relationship, and it can destroy other relationships because we're willing to talk to other people about our grudge against that person. What we need is for that person we're talking to, if they're a believer, to say, why are you telling me this? You need to go fix this with your brother. That's what we need people to tell us to do. So, we also have instructions from Paul as we, as we finish up here regarding how to live as Christians and remember that, that John's instructions here, he's, what he's teaching is, do not be like Cain, okay, who sacrificed his brother in unrighteousness and hatred, but be like Christ who sacrificed himself in order to give his righteousness in love. That's, that's what John is talking about. I want to close by reading a passage in Romans chapter 12. If you'll turn there. I think this is a good way to, good way to end on this. A lot of good stuff in here about Christian living. Okay, Romans chapter 12. And... It's sort of a large section, but they're small, short verses, so it doesn't take that long. Starting in verse 9, we'll go through the end of chapter 12. And think about these things, okay? As we've talked about love, as we've talked about this self-sacrificial love that John is instructing people to have, here's what Paul says. 
Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is Christian living. This is how we love like Christ loved us. And why do we do it? John said, the best example we have, because he laid down his life for us. Okay? This is a good, good section of scripture from John about, about love. Uh, we would do well to pay attention to this on a daily basis, to continually uh, be assessing our own life and our own responses to people in life because uh, it is hard. And remember, this type of love is not looking for something in return, and it's not because it's easy. We're commanded to do it because it's hard. And it's a, it's a love of the will, and Christ showed it to us in, in the best possible manner by dying for us and making it possible for us through repentance and faith to have salvation through him. What a gracious gift that is. So let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you again for tonight for this message from John uh, about love. We thank you, Lord, ultimate example, the ultimate revelation of love, which is the fact that your son laid down his life for us. Nobody took it from him, as he says himself, but he laid it down willingly. What an amazing, amazing gift for people that are enemies, who are actively opposed to him, who aren't even seeking that love. It's an amazing way that you have loved us, Father, and I, I pray that we would understand it more and more, and that our response as Christians would be more and more to think of others as more important than ourselves, to be self-sacrificial in our love for them, never seeking something in return, Father, but doing it to please you because of the way you loved us. Praise you, Father, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.